It's so good to see you guys. It's been a fun year, and thank you guys for being here tonight as we kind of close out the year. Uh, quick thing, there's more of these in the back. If you've run out and need more, they're back there. So tonight, uh, I'm going to do, a, I'm, I've copied my wife a little bit uh, at DNA a couple weeks ago. Uh, she and Eric taught on um, surviving kind of family. I was like, man, that is such a good topic. And uh, so she say, shared a couple of things with me. I'm like, I'm going to write that down and steal it for myself. And, uh, but anyway, just, it spurred in me um, some things I want to share with you guys. But of course, I know that no one in here has any family issues, any family drama. And I like to think I'm a man of ideas. Um, usually they're good ideas, but more times than not, they're actually bad ideas. So I actually have a list of things. If you don't have enough drama in your life with family, if everything's going well and you want to cause drama, I have a short list to share with you to start. If you want some trouble, here's a tip. Offer to bring desserts to family dinner and just put a little x lax in the chocolate there. <laughs> Sit back and wait. It'll be great. End everything you say with according to the conspiracy. <laughs> Super glue your finger in your nose. That would be really fun for the evening. Make it your mission to sneak up on a family member and pluck a nose hair if you can. <laughs> How about turn your dinner into a presentation for a pyramid scheme? That'd be perfect. Anytime someone finishes a sentence, just scream, liar! <laughs> Challenge your family to a burping contest. That was my favorite as a child. Hidden gift I won't share with you tonight. I got a ton of these. I'll enter this one. Cover a family member's car with Donald Trump bumper stickers. Be perfect. Anyways, I have a, a million of these things. I'll share with you guys if you want more drama. But, I mean, there's, there's important things to be talked about for family drama, and, and I'm no stranger to that. And holidays and drama are kind of go hand in hand like shoes inside a shoe store. There's difficulties there. And I have drama in my own family. As a young child, my Age, uh, when I was a, a five-year-old, I had probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. I was completely distraught, utterly betrayed. This is my lowest point and still remains one of these shocking moments that I carry with me to this day. Even in Christ's life, I worked through this moment ever since then. It was the day that my family bought a Christmas tree that didn't have a pointy top. And I just lost it at the age of five. Caused all this drama. I had this, like, my life was ruined. My dad's, like, trying to saw and, like, chisel this Christmas tree. And so I never, <laughs> I actually remember that day to this day and just completely hijacking Christmas over the Christmas tree, not having a pointy top. And uh, for, that was a very serious issue. So, um, anyways. Uh, but holidays bring out the interesting times in this. We get emotionally charged, and for many of us, I'm going to switch to serious mode here now, is that sometimes the patterns of our family become just routine to have drama, and it's, just, it's routine to have ruts and to have people misbehave. And worse, what do you do when you are one of the only healthy people you know in your family? What do you do then? That can be a tough position to navigate the waters of 
dynamics and charge exchanges and how do you survive that? And so I want to see what does the Bible say about responding to difficult situations, difficult relationships, and drama? And so here are seven biblical responses to drama to help you survive during the holidays. And so I'm going to take you through each one of these and if you can jot them down, maybe they'll be helpful to you during this holiday season. The first thing is this, is to have honest expectations. If you want to survive Christmas, if you want to survive the holidays and exchanges with family that maybe are less than perfect like many of us, and there's challenges, have honest expectations. It's very important that we don't get disappointed because our expectations for family were unrealistic. It's important that you don't get disappointed because your expectations for your family were actually unrealistic. Now we have expectations that this Christmas season we're going to be singing Kumbaya. And this year is going to be the year when in actuality for the past decade every Christmas has ended with knife throwing. Okay? We need to have honest expectations about where we've been and where we're going. And more than that, sometimes we need to realize that the Bible actually doesn't promise us peace in every relationship. Sometimes we have this mindset of like, well, peace is always possible and every relationship can bring a reconciliation to it and they're going to be healing and we can recover from it. But actually, unfortunately, the Bible tells us the opposite. It's Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, everyone say if. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. What is that saying? Peace is not always possible. It says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Peace may not be possible and some people may not like you, which drives people like me nuts because I want everyone to like me. When they don't, it bothers me. And so sometimes I'll even like damage my relationships in my pursuit, like, no, 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 you really got to like me, please. And there's certain relationships, certain people, certain circumstances that just may not be possible to have peace for whatever reason. And so when you think of your own family, it's important to have honest and real expectations for them. Because people are easily disappointed when their expectations are met. Despair and discouragement is the result of having an unrealistic expectation. It's having your expectations missed. Now, I had a particular relationship in my life that meant a whole lot to me. And I wanted this person to know me, to uh, have deep relationship with me and be authentic with me. And so I, I pushed and pushed and pushed for years for this one particular relationship until I realized that this person actually isn't capable of authentic, deep exchanges. In fact, there wasn't a single person in his life that he had a deep, authentic relationship with. But all along, I was the one who was miffed. I was discouraged. I was like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? And actually, you know what? He wasn't capable of what I wanted. And when I realized that he wasn't capable of giving me what I wanted, suddenly my expectation got right. And my relationship's been better because I'm not... I'm not letting him fail based upon my misplaced expectations. It's also important, too, that we, remember, we think of, like, our family members, if they have it all figured out, they're perfect, right? One of the important things is to remember that many of our parents, many of our folks, our relatives, our uncles, our aunts, our brothers, our sisters, they're still figuring out just like you. Sometimes we lose sight that they're on their own path, 
to being better and to being who they really are called in Christ and maybe they're on their journey to even know Christ. Who knows? But we need to have empathy to know where they are and to know that they're just like you in many regards trying to figure things out. But when you have unrealistic expectations for your family, you are setting them up to fail. It's not fair for you to have unrealistic expectations that they can never meet. And so have honest expectations about your family, about Christmas, about New Year's, about exchanges, and and don't let yourself have lofty goals, lofty ambitions in where you become disappointed based upon your misplaced expectations. Number two is this, is invest your heart wisely. Matthew 7 says this, Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, Jesus isn't talking about jewelry insurance here. He's not talking about your actual pearls. He's talking about the things that are important, the things that are valuable. Know where you invest yourself. The most important thing about you is where you invest your life and your time. Your life, your heart, your time is precious, so consider who you are entrusting it to. There's a good chance that you might be investing your heart in ways that are hurting you more than helping you. We have different love language, right? Sometimes your love language is the annoyance of someone else. You might want to like, I just want to do this all in because this is how I show you love. And they're just like, please stop. This is bugging me. You might make a painting for, member, for a family member and you might do something incredible and they might be like, well, just give me this crap out of here. You know, like, and they have no bearing and no value for what you contribute and how you show love. There are people I used to stress out getting gifts for because like my family, like, it's almost this competition about who can pull out the last present, la- the, like, last present at the last time and moment. So it was like one up in each other. It's, it's been fantastic growing up. He's like, there's one more present. And then, oh, one more present. And this would go on for like the next like hour after Christmas. It was great. And my wife's like, I know. Yeah. And so we, our family, like when Camille married into our family, like it's not just like one gift for family members. Like we can't get like 40 for every single person, you know. It's just this insane and so our family, I think, was like really good gift givers. And then it's funny because like then I realized the whole world isn't that way. And there's people in my life that if I'm going to give you a gift for, I'm going to really stress out about it. But I realized that not everybody in the world is receiving my love language of giving a gift like that. And in fact, I'm going through all this labor and all this challenge and they're like, I just put it in a card or don't do anything. I like, oh. But when they don't give me the reaction that I want, I get offended, I get hurt, I get disappointed. Why? It's because I'm putting my heart into places that it doesn't belong. It may not even necessarily mean that they're mean, but they just I'm investing my heart into places that have no return. You know what the number one way to crush a dream is? Everyone's going to go on this like, you know, two-week hiatus where we're like thinking about dreams and goals we want to do. You know the number one way that you can crush your dream? Tell it to the wrong person. The number one way that your dream will be squashed is not your willpower, it's actually sharing it with the wrong person. Don't share your heart with people who have a pattern of using it against you. Discouragement 
against what your heart desires and wants is going to extinguish you in such a way it's going to be devastating. Consider who you are sharing your heart with, your mind with, your hopes, your dreams with before you open your mouth. But it's hard because, right, because families, like the natural connection, the natural relationship, we just want to be like, open the kimono and like, I'm here, love me, you know. But just be careful that you do that in situations and to people who value it. And don't be brokenhearted by people who have no business being entrusted with your heart. If you got your heart broken, maybe you shouldn't have given it away in the first place. Number three. This is seven biblical responses to reduce drama and survive the holidays and family. Number three is break from your assigned role. Break from your assigned role. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone. Here's a newsflash for you. Jesus transforms. As you encounter Jesus, you're supposed to change. I remember like not too long after I came home from like college years, I came back and like, you changed. It was like this like slam. I was like, oh. You know, like, ever someone like tell you like, you've changed. And it's not, and they don't, no one says that for the better. They're always, it's always like a slam against you. I'm like, for the better. You know, I was like, Yeah. If you are actively working in Christ, the model is for you to be completely different than the person you were before. Otherwise, it's broken. You're doing it wrong. The model is that you are transformed into his image, into his likeness. If you're the exact same person as you were 10 years ago, you got to change something up. Because the model for you is to be transformed as you know Jesus. But here's the thing about family is that family sometimes wants to keep you as they always knew you. The relationships you have for the longest, the people who know you for the longest, almost insist that you stay that person for the entire life. I would return home, I'm from Oregon, I would return home and see some different friends. And in, in high school, like I was like this really like anxious, depressed, melancholy guy that didn't have any fun or didn't want to do anything. I was like really about self-loathing in my high school years. I didn't make too many friends. And so uh, the few that I, I did have, I'd go home and I'd find myself like being like sad and insecure and like mopey. And so I'm like, you know what? That's not me. That's my, that might have been who I was, but when you return back to familiar places, there's this nasty habit where you revert back to the person you was, not the person you are. And perhaps as a kid, maybe you were sarcastic Maybe you were the sad one. Maybe you were the one that had the loud mouth. Or maybe you had something about you that was unique. And and you need to fight against the inertia that says, I want to keep you who you were. And you need to actually embrace who Christ has made you, who you are now. Be unashamedly you. So when you come home and you're the sarcastic person, be the person that's like the life of everything. Like, this is amazing. This is awesome. You know, be unapologetic for the transformation that you now walk in. It was hard, like, after, you know, getting married and going to college and being this different person and going back to my childhood because you want to revert back to who you were. But, you know, honestly, there's a lot of parts of my childhood I don't ever care to remember or be. And, in fact, I need to celebrate, like, actually, like, I'm kind of happy with who I've worked on my life to be now. So if you were the sad one, consider being the happy one. If you're the troublemaker, consider being 
the peacemaker. If you're the quiet one, lead the conversation about the positive choices you've made. And you can say this and you can inform people because it's kind of hard to like, you know, I've changed, you know, like people are like, okay, dude, like, all right. You know? What you can do is you can say, you know, what's something I'm really excited about in my life right now. I'm really excited about who I've become over this past year. And they're like, who have you become? You know? So instead of being bitter that no one recognizes for who you are, why don't you say how excited you are of the changes you've made in your life and break free from that assigned role. Just because you always were that person doesn't mean you always have to be that person. So don't find yourself falling into the ruts that maybe you spent a decade or two in. Number four is protect people from themselves. Protect people from themselves. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love always protects. Love always protects. One helpful thing you can do for the holidays is to protect people from themselves. Now, what do I mean? You know your family better than anyone. You know their triggers. You know what things make every Christmas a nightmare. You know what their hot button issues are. You know what annoys them. You know what their frustrations. You know all the passive-aggressive things that might come up. You know it all, right? What are the patterns that lead to ugly situations? What are the topics? Is it politics? Is it a particular family member? And when they come up, here's what you can do. Is that you can try to divert it away. You can think ahead of time, I know the pattern that these things take, and I'm actually going to try and steer the ship a different direction. So when your father might bring up politics and start banging his issues, like, I'm pregnant, and it's okay. <laughs> you know, like, or maybe fake a bloody nose. I don't know. You know, like, do something that interjects the trajectory of where it's going and say, actually, I have to do something else. Think of how people might be anticipating their own demise and try to intervene before they do it, without even them knowing. You don't need to be confrontational. For example, maybe there's family that comes off the rails when there's alcohol, Maybe this year you're like, hey, I'll buy the drinks. And just go buy non-alcoholic wine and pour it into a regular wine bottle and serve it. <laughs> right? Protecting people from themselves. Maybe dinner is like this like really toxic issue, like, oh, dinner and dishes. And maybe you're like, I'll bring Chipotle for the entire family. How about that? Coordinate and plan and act ahead of time so that you can protect people from themselves. Is that making sense? That you love people by not just letting them have themselves, but actually gently coming alongside and altering the path. That also might look like leadership in the ways of saying, hey, this holiday season, I would like us to fill in the blank. Or you can say, hey, this holiday season, I vote that we don't talk at all about this. And you can do that. The past few years, my family's been going to Cabo for Thanksgiving every other year or every few years. And it's hard because we've always had their tradition. We've always had, you know, Mama Noff's turkey with her gravy and all the different things. And so when it was like, we're going to go to Mexico and have tacos, it was like this like, <gasps> like, well, we've always done that. And it's my brother who's like, how about we just like get out of Dodge for Thanksgiving? Years ago. And now that's been introduced for different traditions for Christmas because we're a family of traditions. We've always done things the same way. 
And so sometimes it's important to have a loving role that says, tradition's great, that's wonderful, but how about we do something like this? And to look forward to the conflict, look forward to the challenge, and say, I want us to go a different direction. How about doing something that serves you and does something different for you? Perhaps every single argument you've ever had is like after 10 p.m. How many guys know that nothing good ever happens after 10 p.m.? It's like, should have been the 11th commandment or something. Maybe all your arguments happen at a certain time of night. Maybe just say like, if that's, if that's like 10 o'clock on, maybe like 9.45, man, I got to go. Just get out of there. If you're the ingredient, if you're one of the catalysts, if you, there's something about relationships and family members that, that creates this chemistry, this formula for drama, just take your ingredient out. It's loving people in a very subtle but passionate way that says, I want to protect you. I want to protect this time. I want to protect our family. And so I'm going to lovingly remove the elements that cause it. Number five, you guys okay? All right. Is this okay stuff? All right. Number five, play dumb to offense. Play dumb to offense. Proverbs 19.11 says this. It's to one's glory, everyone say glory. glory. It's to one's glory to overlook offense. Think about that. It's to one's glory to overlook offense. Meaning, it is more glorious to ignore the insult than to respond to it. It means God says, you are glorious if you should be offended and aren't. Right? When you are supposed to be offended and you choose not to be offended, it says glory is on you, to your glory. That's pretty awesome and powerful. Most family trouble is due to someone getting offended. And there's family members who they just want to see you have a response. There's certain relationships and dynamics who just want to like needle you just to get a response out of you. My daughter's four, my son's almost two. And just this morning, Daddy, Maverick's touching my seat. You know, and he's just like touching like her chair. He's like driving my daughter nuts. I'm like, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Don't like, d he's just only doing it because you're freaking out about it. Like if you ignore it, he's going to get bored by it. Like he's only doing it because it gives him entertainment that you're responding. Unfortunately, a lot of relationships that we have, gets entertained by seeing you riled up. There's a lot of relationships that just don't like want to push your buttons just because you could. Now, I'm that with Eric all the time. I just want to like push his buttons just to see if I can get a reaction in the most loving way. But the best way to fight back to people who are aggressive in that way is to play dumb. Here's something that will drive someone nuts. You guys know like people who are like obnoxious and always making you the punchline? If someone's like always has to be sarcastic and make you the butt of the joke, here's something that will just like annoy the snot out of them and they'll stop. And so let's say they like make a joke and yeah, yeah, you. And like you just say, what would you say? I couldn't hear you. And then they repeat it and you're like, wait, what? And then you make them repeat it again. Like a joke is not funny if it's repeated four times. Okay? You extinguish all comedic moment out of it. The minute you say, I don't 
get it. Is that a joke about my hair or what? And you ask them to repeat it. I guarantee you it'll get old. They don't want to repeat themselves. And you keep doing it in it and they'll get the hint. But what you do with offense is actually more important than the offense itself. What you do with offense is far more important than the offense itself. Camille shared a very powerful perspective on uh, attending kind of big functions, particularly family functions, in which uh, you're there and they use this analogy that everyone's playing a role, right? Everyone's got these defined roles of like, I'm the person who does this. And, and so people kind of fall into these patterns of like, they're always the instigator. They're always the argumentative person. They're always the, you know, passive aggressive one. And, and there might be these different roles and dynamics that play into uh, family dynamics and family meetings and gatherings. And she had this great thing. I don't know where she got it. But she said that the role to play is to be the amused audience member. Instead of playing hero that's going to try and bring reconciliation to the entire night, again, we have honest expectations, try the role of an amused audience member. Hmm, that's interesting. It's just along for the ride. I'm just participating in the performance. I'm an amused audience member. And it was really like a, a fascinating point of truth because one thing that family can do to you in exchanges in the holidays is you can like get upset about things that don't matter. You're like, why am I upset about this? But I am, you know? And it's like, I don't get it. And so there's certain things like your you know, family, like they blow through the fuse of your patience like it's on fire. And you have this like intolerance for things that you normally would have tolerance for for any other human being on the face of the earth that you don't have with your family. And so instead of getting riled up and doing these different things and playing the well, no, we, that's a bad idea. We need to go do this. Play the role of the amused audience member. Oh, cool. That's interesting. That might ruin your life. That's interesting. <laughs> Play an amused audience member. Don't let yourself get sucked in. <laughs> number six. <laughs> Think before you confront. Now you've heard, think before you drink. Think before you confront. Think before you confront. I know what you're saying. You're going to play hero for the family. You're going to bring the heat, bring the confrontation. We're going to get this family happy. Dang it, right? I mean, we're going to strong arm our way in and we're going to tell that person a piece of my mind and they're going to hear it and they're going to say, yeah. Proverbs 9.8 says, don't rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Don't rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. There are certain people in this world that are unteachable. There are certain people in this world that will never, no matter how good your argument is, I love to debate. I always have like five points of like why I'm right, and five more if you need them. You know, like I, I'm kind of that way, but unless you're talking with someone who cares who listens, who's open to feedback, you are wasting your breath. It's a sad truth that there's just certain people that they're done growing in life. They're like, yep, I finished that phase of life and I'm happy how I am. And so you have to think about before you bring an issue to confront about whether or not there's going to be any fruit in rebuking them. Here's something. Ask yourself, what is the expected outcome? 
Is there one? Are you doing to blow off steam or do you actually think there's an alternative scenario here that's going to work out? A lot of our confrontation is about giving people a piece of our mind. It feels really good to say that. I have a really good line that I'm going to wait at the exact moment and tell you, you know. We have to ask ourselves if it's fruitful, if there's even a possible resolution to the thing that we're upset about. And Camille also shared this too, is, is to say, confront incidents, not patterns. You confront an incident, you don't confront a pattern. An incident, let's say I was like, you know, with some friends and I make a, a joke and I thought it was funny, but it actually was really hurtful to somebody that I really care about. How about I forget something that I, I meant to like, oh shoot, that's, that's dumb. Or, or maybe I got caught like just being a, a fool and I was a total like out of character, like darn it, like why did I do that? Now I expect that my life like would demand that people who love me would say, dude, knock it off. You're being a knucklehead. That actually sit me down. I hope that my life has an instant where someone comes and like says, hey, um, have you ever thought about when you do this, this is how it comes across? We confront incidents. Because incidents are things that you can discuss, you can bring resolution to. They're things that occur that you can have a response to. Now patterns, patterns are way of life. You confront incidents not patterns. Patterns are a way of life. And patterns are there. Why? It's because they've taken years and years of practice to develop. The patterns that most people have, they've worked really hard in their life to make that pattern stay. And so it's important that we confront an issue when it's an incident, not a pattern, because a pattern usually is something that only out of tremendous willpower and the Holy Spirit will you be able to break through and get free from. Because a pattern is a way of life for so many people. And you might be able to point it out. I wouldn't point it out in the moment. You certainly can say, hey, I've just noticed this pattern in your life and just thought I'd bring it to your attention. But that's different from like, hey, you always do this because they always have. They actually meant to do that. That's, they've practiced that behavior. They may be totally turned off to that they're doing it, but it is a way of life for them now. And you won't have any progress in confronting a pattern because that is the way the person manages and copes with that area of their life is to respond that way. So before you confront, ask yourself, is this a pattern or incident? And here's what I found with people with patterns is that usually the people with patterns actually want you to confront them because they want to justify that you are unloving to them. A pattern is a really unique thing because it almost, it almost wants that confrontation, but you don't want more than a confrontation. It wants to prove that you don't love them. It's kind of crazy, huh? There's relationships that they actually want a confrontation because it justifies to them the paradigm that they live in, that you don't love them, that you always are against them, or you don't understand them. And they actually feed off of being offended. And you actually can make a relationship worse by confronting them when someone is not teachable. The last thing, number seven, is this. Don't permit yourself to be controlled. Don't permit yourself to be controlled. Now, why do I use 
that syntax in that sentence. It's because of this, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Here's something that like blew my mind several years ago. Is that no one has the power to make you mad. No one has the power to make you mad. You surrendered control to a person to make you mad. But you gave them permission to do that. You surrendered it, but no one has the authority to make you mad because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You actually have full autonomy over yourself, over your mind, your will, your emotions. You have control. Now, I always get mad when I get mad. (laughs) When I get mad, I'm like one part mad about whatever I'm mad about, but like three parts mad that I'm even mad. And now I'm like triple mad. Why? It's because no one and nothing should have the power over me to hijack my emotions. Nothing should have power and authority over me to hijack my emotions because I have fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. It's like actually what just happened is a violation. Me getting mad beyond my control is a violation of what the Spirit has come to do in my life, which is give me self-control. And so when I get mad, I get mad. (laughs) But it reveals to me what area did I release to have power back over me when I got mad. A funny thing in life when you're a father is a four-year-old can make you mad. This is good perspective. Because it's not very often that my uh, you know, daughter provokes or does something to like respond. But man, there's a, occasion in the time like she really can get my goose. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, how did a four-year-old just make me mad? Like, you're four. Like, I'm in charge of you. Like, why am I, you know, this isn't supposed to happen this way. And so I have to think, I was like, she's only four. What is she, she has no business having control over my emotions like this. And so as you have, let's say, spicy relationships in your life, family members, extended family, and they get your goose, they make you lose your chickens. I have all like this bird analogy <laughs> for this. They make you lose your chickens. You need to think like, all right. What is it about me that I'm surrendering control to them for them to control me? Because when someone can make you mad, they have total control over you. They've totally gotten you off base. You are in control of yourself. So don't surrender your greatest authority. And your greatest authority is the authority you have over yourself. If you don't have control over yourself, you don't got control over anything. Your greatest authority is over your own self, self-control. So don't surrender your greatest authority to someone just because they said something stupid, probably to get a reaction out of you. Is that making sense? So let me give them to you one more time, wrapping up with this. Have honest expectations. Have an expectation of what someone is capable of, not what's something you want. Not something you wish for, but have an honest expectation of what is possible. Number two is invest your heart wisely. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't invest yourself into people who are going to trample your heart just because they can. Number three, break free from your assigned role. Be unashamedly 
proud of what Christ has done in you, the new person you are. You don't have to be the seven-year-old you for the rest of your life whenever you go home. Number four is to protect people from themselves. Lovingly alter the course of your family dynamics. Alter the course of where things usually go. Diffuse the patterns that people have developed over time and, and lovingly introduce an alternative. Number five is play dumb to offense. It's to your glory that you overlook offense. If you want to be glorious this season, glory, right? Just like let the insults fly, let the offense fly, just like play dead to it. Six is think before you confront. Don't get your head bit off because you try to confront a pattern. If there's an incident, talk about it. But know that there's very little fruit in confronting an issue in someone's life that they've worked for decades to have in their life. And number seven is don't permit yourself to be controlled. Remember that you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Your greatest authority is over yourself, and no one has the power to make you mad. So which one do you need help on? Which one sticks out to you? Write it down, memorize it. Think of an alternative way that you can have a wonderful, awesome, an amazing Christmas and New Year's season. And I can't wait to be back with you guys next year. I love you guys.